Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. These guys, along with Sam Dykstra, have been extraordinarily busy putting together the mid-season rankings, top 100 prospects, each team's top 30 prospects list, the top 10 by position list, all coming together so we can uh, provide them for all of you, all of our ravenous fans to feast on uh, over the next several days. As we record this, we are just uh, about, I don't know, 24, 36, 48, how, how, we're, we're hours away from sure. releasing this this uh, giant package of Wait, content. Let's say days, just so people aren't looking for it within like hours. 10 hours of when they hear this. Let's say a couple days. Say, couple days. They haven't been looking for it at all. No, I'm saying they're going to they're going to get all excited when they heard Jason say hours and then be like then we're going to hear about it. So we could put it in fraction of years, yeah, <laughs> months. Um yeah, so to put this in in a little perspective for those who aren't familiar, we put out all these lists uh, at the beginning of the season, our preseason lists come out. The top 100 list comes out at the end of January. And then all the team top 30 lists come out shortly before the season starts. These lists uh, are long-term projections of what the industry thinks these prospects will be. So they don't get updated throughout the season on a week-to-week basis or even monthly. We're not adjusting them by perform by short-term performance. But when we get to this point in the season, we've had four months of game action. We've had the draft, notably. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things with this iteration of the rankings is that we're adding in this year's draft picks. Um, and so uh, and it's long been called the mid-season re-rank, which is a bit of a misnomer because we're uh, beyond mid-season at this point. And when the draft moved from June to July, that kind of screwed up our our timing because we used to get this list out before the trade deadline, uh, which is no longer really possible with the way that we go about things and the, the number of people that Jim and Jonathan and Sam talk to uh, in order to fine tune these rankings and get the best possible information. Uh, so now it comes out shortly after the trade deadline and, uh, Guys, your your sort of general observations and any general impressions as you've been working on this particular batch of lists. I think my first impression is that it's it's I'm not trying to be Mr. Negative here. It's like the state of pitching in the minor leagues. I feel like it. it we we have fewer pitchers, fewer healthy pitchers on the top 100 prospects list than we do in most years. Like it's just uncanny how many guys are hurt, um, or the lack of healthy guys on healthy pitchers on the top 100 prospects list. I mean, there's a lot of exciting position players, but the the pitching's rough. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree with that, and I think added in the fact that there probably were some pitchers had they not graduated, and that's, those are. The, the only changes we make during the year. If a guy graduates off the practice, off the uh, prospect list by exceeding rookie status, then they come off the list. There, there are you know a handful of guys who, if they were, you know, doing what they're doing, but they were still in the minors, say they would make a, a significant jump up, and you know they're no longer in consideration. That's a small 
group. I'm thinking of like the Andrew Abbotts of the world who, you know, have graduated off, but like have performed exceedingly well. But yeah, they're, it, it's been hit or heavy. And then I think even more so because, uh, so many of the top guys have, have gotten hurt. So when people see the new top 100, you're not going to see a whole lot of arms at the top. Yeah. And this is a trend that we've, we've seen over the past several years now. We've, we've talked about this on the podcast several times before, uh, going back to 2011, 50% of the players. Now at that time, our, our overall top prospects list was just a top 50. Uh, but 25 of the 50 players on that top 50 were, were pitchers. So 50% uh, held pretty steadily around 47, 48% all the way to 2015. Started dipping. Uh, 2016 preseason list was just 39%. Um, and then 43, 42, 45, got back up to 47% in 2018, 19. But then a pretty big dip at mid-season 2019, from which we haven't really uh, seen an increase since, it went down to 36% of the top 100 pitch, uh, being pitchers and has gone downhill uh, 30% mid-season 2021, 29% in 22, 27% an all-time low mid-season 2022. And this preseason list this year was 29%, so just 29 out of the 100 players in the top 100 list were pitchers. and. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how that uh, bears out if we hit a new record low with this midseason top 100 when it comes out here in a matter of hours slash days. <laughs> I'll say too. I mean, one thing I think that's also contributed that. Well, I think it's three things. I think one, a lot of top guys have gotten hurt. Two, like Jonathan was alluding to, a lot of top guys have kind of rushed to the major leagues and not stayed on the list very long. And three, the last two drafts have not been particularly deep in pitching, you know, Paul Skeen's greatness aside. So they haven't really replenished the list yet, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I tried to count this up real quickly. I didn't, I was too lazy to sort <laughs> in the spreadsheet. The, the working version of the list we have right now, I think has 29 pitchers on it, but we've gotten a lot of feedback and I think there's feedback to maybe knock two or three of them off the list. So we might, we might only have 26 when all is said and done. Sounds like we'll be right at that low watermark. But but to, just to flip it around, because I, I don't want to get suspended by the Orioles for a couple of weeks or anything. <sighs> I do think the hitters at the top of the list are extremely exciting. Like, we're not going to give any secrets away, although I think if you look at our current list, you might be able to. Oh, I can say this. Number one prospect's name is Jackson. Um, right? <laughs> Very uh, well done. We might have three Jacksons in the top ten. It's a strong year for Jacksons. Um, oh, if only we could get two more, what a headline that would make. And then, um, uh, yeah, right. we'll have to, we, we should rank the top 10 Jacksons. We, we see who else is missing, who we could, we could get up there. And then, uh, you know, Ethan Salas, it, we won't give his ranking away, but I, I don't know what the record is, but all I know is he has to hold the record for highest ranking on the top 100 prospects list by a 17 year old. Um, so that's pretty exciting too. And we have an influx of, you know, the five number one pick worthy guys from the draft, Paul Skeens is a pitcher, but then four outfielders and, and Dylan Cruz and Max Clark and Wyatt Lankford and Walker Jenkins. So I do think the, the the hitting group seems very, very strong. Yeah, I think that's fair. And thank you for being on both sides of the scale there, Jim. We don't want you always to be a curmudgeon. But yeah, I, I do like a lot of the 
the hitters and especially, you know, we, we were just talking even just Jackson Holiday, Churio, and then and some the, the how young they are. We're not talking, you know, sort of slightly older college performer types. We're, we're talking teenagers, you know, or you know, really super young guys who are at advanced levels, you know, way ahead of the curve. So I, I would I would agree with your your assessment. Actually, I'm both sides of the ledger. I'm very agreeable today. Yeah, we'll we'll see how the top five, ten, twenty shakes out with the midseason list. But you know, looking at it now, uh, speaking of the the youth at the top, there's not a single player in the top ten over 21 years old. And among the top 15, the only player older than 21 years old is Colton Cowser, who's 23. Um, so yeah, the youth, uh, on display here. And I would imagine that will continue to be the case when we put out the mid season re-rank here shortly. Um, Jim, you meant it, you uh, got the conversation about youth started by talking about Ethan Salas. And I know he's, uh, one of the guys on the rise that we want to highlight here. Uh, we're not going to get into specific rankings just yet. We'll, uh, do a detailed breakdown of the top 100 next week uh, on the podcast, but we can identify some guys who are who are making some big jumps, and and uh, Ethan Salas is one of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because you know it seems, Jonathan, like more often than not, when we aggressively rank a a new international signing, whether it's Kevin Maitan or Jason Dominguez. Um, I know I pushed Christian Hernandez onto the top 100 from the Cubs um, at one point. Like, oftentimes, like we, we try to be kind of the fact that these guys become stars. And it seems like when we identify the guys super early and put them on the top 100 list, they don't always perform. And Ethan Salas has been the exception to that rule. I mean, I, again, I'll go back to the comment I make a lot that when a guy is highly touted, and your initial reports are, wow, this guy's even better than we realized. Those guys usually wind up being really, really good. And that's been the case with Ethan Salas. I mean, you know, heading to low A at age 17, he's got nine homers in 48 games. He looks great defensively, hasn't been overmatched at the plate at all. You know, nine homers in 48 games, and he's probably hit over power guy when all is said and done. I, I don't know, Jonathan. I mean, he could be four sixes on this guy. Uh, we, we, we can't go six run, but he, he's still 40. I think he's like a 45 runner for a catcher, which is still pretty good. Uh, you know, he's been amazing. Yeah, I think what made this one, I'll say easier. It's so hard when you're, you know, you get these guys who are signed at 16 or 17, and it's just impossible to know what they're going to become. I mean, it's hard enough to do it with, you know, high school draftees, Um but also, you know, you and I especially have more familiarity with those guys. And, you know, J- Jesse Sanchez does such a great job with our international stuff. But uh, we don't know as much about them when they enter pro ball. And, and you know, the, it, the combination of, you know, not knowing them as well uh, and, you know, that there's a lot of hype surrounding them when they're so young and development can, you know, physically you know even emotionally for kids that age can go in any direction so yeah we definitely have been wrong and i think what made you know what made ethan south a little bit easier uh is that he performed so well out of the gate yeah we heard all the hype but he as you pointed out and you 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 know 
talked about some of his numbers that, you know, he, he's in full season ball. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, and it speaks to what the Padres think of him by sending him there at such a young age as a catcher. You know, this isn't, you know, he's not playing left field. And I'm taking anything away from someone who could play the outfield in full season ball, but the, there's like an added level of responsibility to being behind the plate in full season ball when you're 17 years old. So I, I think that uh, the combination of those things felt a little more comfortable in in pushing him, you know, even adding him to the list uh, in the first place and then, you know, continuing to aggressively push him up it. Yeah, I know when these international, top international signees, you know, go to Dominican Summer League or one of the complex leagues, uh, you guys are often you know, sort of dismissive of, of numbers that they may put up there. It's nice to see, but you're not putting too much stock into those numbers. But when a guy does it at this level, um, quite impressive. Eight thir- carrying an 837 OPS through his first 48 games, and that's even on the heels of uh, he's currently in the midst of what I think is his most prolonged slump so far, an 0 for 16 spell. Uh, yeah, it looks like that's the... First time he's gone more than two games without a hit. So, and not only is he seventeen, it's he's a young seventeen. He's he barely 17, seventeen in June. So, if he was, you know, I mean, he's. I think he was born in the United States before he moved back to Venezuela. But like, had he stayed in the United States, he'd, you know, in all likelihood, be going into his junior year in the fall. He'd be getting ready for his junior year of high school. Instead, he's catching in low class A. And doing very, very well. It's amazing. Unreal. Another guy on the rise. Uh, we, we have another catcher to talk about, don't we? Yeah, Jefferson Caro, uh, who I think I can safely say, Jim, universally, we all liked in the fall league last year, right? I'm not. Oh, yeah. I, I want to say, I think he threw out three base stealers in the first game I saw him play. Yeah. And I think the thing that was amazing, he's also, I mean, I guess he's, he's old compared to Ethan Salas. But uh, we all are. <laughs> he's twenty. He's twenty, and uh, was twenty for for all of this year. The defense was unbelievable, and and unquestioned. And he didn't have a, a bad year offensively last year. In what was his full season debut, he didn't he didn't hit much in the fall league. But he was also still you know he didn't he turned twenty in October, so still super young. We knew the defense was going to play, but the offense continues to uh to play well and he's in double a this year after well, he only had 20 20 games in high a last year and he has an 871 ops he's got 13 homers he doesn't strike out a lot and the defense continues to be very very good behind the plate um so he's made a nice leap up because it looks like you know i don't know that the bat needs to catch up to the glove because the you know his, his defensive work is so special but it is catch catching up quite a bit and you know that's i think necessitated a a nice push up the top 100 well how about i was gonna say how about the brewers uh, you know having all kinds of guys i mean not just jefferson cuero but like tyler black and jacob miserowski also making you know they they weren't on the top 100 prospects list to begin the season and then they're gonna make nice jumps here at midseason it seems like it's been a very good year for the Brewers system uh, you know, and that's with along with Jackson Churio continuing to be Jackson Churio and Sal Fralick making an instant impact in the big leagues as well. It's been a 
it's been a great year for their their best prospects. That's worth pointing out too, because I think as we were going through all our top thirties, uh, you know, Jim, Sam, and I always like, talk to each other, and I felt like that's the exception and not the rule. I, I felt like there were a lot of struggling top thirty lists in terms of performance, which made it a little tougher and how to how to re-rank them. So to see that uh, at least at the at the top of their list that their guys are exceeding expectations is exciting. And I mean, you could almost make the point too. I'll, I'll, I'll venture further off the top 100 road here a little bit. That if you look at their draft, I thought they had one of the better drafts around. I mean, getting you know Brock Wilkin, who had as much power as just about anybody in the draft. Josh Noth, interesting high school pitcher. They got two steals in terms of where they got him in the draft. In Eric Batani and Cooper Pratt, Mike Bovey is a one of the better bat to ball guys. Like it's been a good year, I think overall. We, we haven't talked farm system rankings yet. I don't even know when we're going to do that. Um, but it, it feels to me like the Brewers might be rising more than most organizations. All right, and a couple other guys outside of Salas and that trio of Brewers prospects we talked about, who are going to be making jumps on this new top one hundred list. A couple of relatively recent draftees, someone from the 2021 class and someone from the 2022 class in Brady House and Roman Anthony. Both of these guys, uh, you know, I think House in particular, he strikes me as a guy who, when he was coming out of the draft, was was known a lot for his sort of raw power. And there were some questions, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seemed like there were questions about whether he was going to be able to hit enough to tap into that raw power. And I'm, I'm guessing by the fact that uh, his arrow is pointing up, and by the fact that he now has a career 295 average in the minors, that he's been able to tap into the power. But we haven't really seen a lot of that power yet with just 16 home runs over 125 career games. To slightly correct you, House really struggled on the showcase circuit before his senior year and was swinging and missing a lot. He toned down his approach and hit a lot better, so I don't think those concerns were as high. But the, the thing that really hurt him literally, I'm not even trying to make a pun, was he had a severe back injury he tried to play through for a while last year, and he just couldn't drive the ball. So he hit like a very soft 278 last year. This year, you know, he's he's slugging 490. He's actually hitting 301, slugging 490, nine home runs, but also 18 doubles. I, I just think it's a case where the power is going to continue to grow. And, I mean, even in you know, double A, he has not hit for power. He's been there for two weeks. But then again, you know, he's he's 20 years old in double A. I, I wouldn't necessarily expect him to tear it up. So I'd, I, I do think we're going to see even better days ahead from Brady House as he puts that back injury further behind him. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of amazing that he missed as much time as he did. His 2022 20, season was, I mean, he played in 45 games, but it was kind of a wash. And, and uh, for him to be in double A now, and he just turned 20 in uh june you know it, it's he's he's shortened the curve you think missing that developmental time is so important at such a young age you know like missing a chunk of your first full season and playing hurt through the other parts of it um you know i think we're just i agree with you jim we're just starting to see what he's capable of and it wouldn't surprise me if next year he just completely explodes and you know that power really starts to to show up after he has a, a full, you know, basically a full season of healthy at-bats under his belt. And then Anthony, another 
power over hit guy in terms of his tool grades, power 55, hit 50, not quite to the extent that that House is uh, with a 50-60 split there. But uh, he, on the other hand, has had that power showing up a little more this year with 11 home runs in just 76 games and an 859 OPS, uh, but hitting just 259 so far, uh, but has hit well at the high A level. Yeah, what was interesting with him, and it goes to show you how much the game has changed. Is so, you know, Anthony was your guy in the draft, Jonathan. He's my guy because I did the Red Sox list. Yep. And, you know, he had those, you know, power over hits, swing and miss concerns coming into pro ball. You know, he was fine. You know, most play, mostly played in rookie ball, a little bit in low A last year in his debut. Anyway, he goes to low A this year, and first month and a half season, he hits 228 with one homer in 42 games. But, because all of the underlying statistics were off the charts, and we heard this at the time, you know, chase rate, contact rate, he walked more than he struck out, exit velocities. The Red Sox felt like he was basically hitting in bad luck. And even though the stats didn't reflect it, it merited a promotion. Even though he don't, you know, it's first full season coming out of high school, it's only been a you know, month and a half in low A, and they promoted him to high A. And in a little over a month, he's hit 298. 428, 645 with 10 homers in 34 games after going deep once in 42 games at low A. And it's it, it just that part interests me where, you know, like with the, with the focus on analytics, even 10 years ago, a guy hitting 228 with one homer in 42 games, you would have left him in, in low A and, and probably thought, man, he's not doing too well. He's drawn some walks, but he's really not producing. This isn't looking great. Um, but all the underlying data was off the charts and said, this guy's already figured out low A, time to move him up. And now his performance in high A is is is, is meriting that. And, and he's been – because I feel like John, he was interested because he's one of the guys who we moved pretty, uh, pretty far up the top 100. And the feedback we got from people was mostly you didn't move him up far enough. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I just that, – that just fascinates me that, you know, he got promoted. Like 10 years ago, Roman Anthony's still in, still in single A. Instead, he was told, no, you're doing great. The numbers just don't reflect it. You're doing, just keep doing what you're doing. And now he's tearing up high A. All right, that is a look at five guys that you will see on the rise when the new Top 100 Prospects list comes out here this week. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other interesting feedback that Jim and Jonathan and Sam have been getting from the scouting industry as they put together these lists. We'll do that when we come back. Coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. I'm Jason Ratliff. We're talking top 100 midseason re-rank. In a bit, we're going to get along to talking about some of the team top 30 prospect lists as well. But for now, we're focusing on the top 100. Uh, We went over five guys on the rise. And uh, want to talk about some other guys that you've been uh, getting some interesting feedback on. Oh, did we do six guys on the rise? I, I said five. Oh, shoot. You're, you're trying to get that sponsorship. I know. I was told there would be no math. Mm. Now now Jason's going to talk about guys coming in and out of the list. Like he's, he's trying to get us a hamburger sponsorship. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> very, very nice. somebody give us a burger here. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about some of the other interesting feedback that, that you guys have gotten. And uh, I wanted to do this because 
you know, I, I know, and I think most of our listeners know that you guys talk to a lot of people in the industry to put these lists together. You get a lot of feedback. Um, but I, I don't always see that myself. And I know our readers don't necessarily see, you know, they don't see the raw feedback. They see it kind of translated, uh, when, when you guys write up all of these players, what you're hearing, uh, is, you know, put into the scouting reports. That's, that's kind of what that is. But to see the the raw feedback was really interesting to me, and that's why I wanted to have you guys talk about it a little bit and just tell us about some of the the more interesting feedback that you've gotten so far. I'm, uh, I think a handful of players here. I won't uh, I won't even attempt to count them because it looks like it's more than five. <laughs> well, we talked about Salas and, and Anthony, right? So I don't know that we need to. Well, I, I will now, say now you're doing subtraction. You're yeah, come on, that's right. I was say with Salas, Salas did have two extremely interesting comments now you know, they may have they've been a little attached to team he plays for but Careful. one guy suggested that if that if anthony salas had been in the draft he would have gone one one in this draft um what do you think jonathan well i'll put this if you if, if, if he was in this draft who do you take one one paul Skeens. I, I do too but i thought that was interesting and then Somebody else who works with the Padres, we're not giving away too much here, I don't think, told us that when they were talking trades, and people knew they weren't going to give up Ethan Salas, that one club said, based on his age and how much of his future lies ahead of him, that this other club ranked him as the most valuable player in baseball, including big leaguers, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. No, that's... that. Uh... So I wanted to throw in those. That two one was a, that was tidbits. an interesting tidbit. Yeah, I, I I think for me, you know, the the guy that was kind of the most interesting, other than that, you know, was uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, the Twins, who, and I don't know, Jim, maybe maybe this is sort of like Roman Anthony because like you look at his numbers, and you know, last year he missed a chunk of the season. He was playing really well uh, in the Florida State League when he when he got hurt. Uh, and then this year he moves up to the Midwest League, and it, it seems like he is regressing. You know, he's hitting two twenty eight, uh, but he's got a three ninety six on base and four fifty three slugging. So the OPS is okay. You know, hundred strikeouts and three hundred and forty plate appearances is is high. But the the thing that was interesting is that we've had a lot of people saying not just move him up. Um, but move him up considerably. Uh, you know, they think he's got a chance to be a high impact player, you know, elite level walk rates, ton of power with a chance to stay in center field. So we got a number of pieces of feedback from a variety of organizations suggesting that we are low on, uh, on Manny Rodriguez. And so, you know, without giving it away, like where we had him, uh, you know, and where we will end up putting him, it will be much, it will be a fair amount higher, even though those surface numbers don't look all that exciting. Yeah, and then after two two more guys who jumped out at me after we kind of or I, I was the main one responsible, the main culprit, decried the the, the the pitching prospects, state of pitching prospects on the top one hundred list. Yeah, you know, we got some interesting feedback on Jackson Job who missed a good chunk of the season. Uh, I want to say, was it lower back injury, if I remember correctly? Um, 
yeah, it was it was lumbar spine inflammation, I guess. That cost him some time this year, but he's come back recently, having a great year. He's got 39 strikeouts, three walks, and 28 innings. He's he's worked his way back up to high A. Had a had a you know good, not you know dominant season in his debut last year. And a couple of people I talked to have seen him were like, move him way up the list. He looks every bit like he did in high school, just dominating teams, dominating hitters. Um, so some feedback that he might be, you know, on the very short list of the best pitching prospects in baseball. And then similarly, same thing for another high school pitcher, Noah Schultz in the White Sox system. He missed the start of the season. He had a little forearm, I think, flexor strain, and they wanted to be cautious with him. He didn't pitch a lot as a, as a high school senior because he had mono. And he's been dominant. He's got a 33 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio. Both those guys being brought along slowly. And I think we were conservative on our initial ranking of those guys for, for this new top 100. And we're getting a lot of feedback from people telling us, don't be conservative. Those guys are two of the very best pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah, Schultz, um, you mentioned his his dominance. If you look at his game log, he gave up only one hit in his first five outings, didn't give up a run in his first six, uh, wasn't walking anyone, uh, had 16 strikeouts to just one walk over those first five starts. He's pitching in very short spurts, two to three innings. And then he got roughed up a little bit in one start, which as good as his numbers are, uh, that one start has, has uh, given him a 1.52 ERA and a 167 average against 0.76 Whip, but he has not given up a run in in any of his other eight outings, and he started started to stretch out a little bit more. He's thrown gone four innings in each of his past two starts, uh, so he has looked very good. Going back to uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, what I thought was interesting uh, about the feedback, and I think Jonathan, you touched on this. You said that it was from a variety of uh, a variety of different clubs uh, that you talked to that were high on him, and. I found it interesting that it was unanimous for him. Uh, all the feedback you got was to bump him up. Whereas often when you look at the feedback, it's it's kind of a, a mixed bag, right? You'll have some people that like a guy more than others. Right. You'll, you know, if you get a half a dozen pieces of feedback on a player, you know, two of them might be, oh, you need to move him up. Two might be, you need to move him down. Two might be, I think you've got him in a good spot. But with uh, with Rodriguez, it was unanimously move him up. Now, there are some there are some guys uh, on the other side of the ledger uh, where a majority of the feedback was that you know maybe we have him too high or pump the brakes on this guy, um, and you know we we talked about one of them earlier, and I don't know how much of the feedback was uh, you know necessarily uh, all that extreme, but Jason Dominguez uh, who. <laughs> it feels like we've been talking about forever. Uh, he's just 20 years old still. And we've talked we talked about him recently. I don't even know if we talked about it on the podcast, but the fact that he's seems he seems to be a real roller coaster in terms of his prospect valuation. And he seems to be maybe on the way back down now, but at the same time, he's 20 years old. He's on pace for potentially a 2040 season at double A at the age 20. But some other some weird numbers in there with him. Yeah, I mean he's he's hitting two thirty eight. He might strike out. He might walk a hundred times, strike out one hundred and seventy times or one hundred and sixty times. 
and it's just, you know, I do our Yankees list and I, I'm almost to the point where I'm, I don't know exactly what to do with them. I mean, it doesn't help, you know, granted the fall league's fall league, but it's an offensive league. And we all saw Jason Dominguez in the fall league last year. He didn't do anything. He hit 159, never hit a home run in 20 games. Like didn't overwhelm anybody there. And, you know, I think the biggest question mark with him and some of our feedback brought this up is his approach. He draws a lot of walks, but it's not like the scouts. Some of the scouts we heard from are saying, you know, it's not a purely, it's not like it's discipline per se that he'll kind of go back and forth between being overly passive at the plate and he'll draw some walks because he's not swinging, but he also takes some strikes and then he'll, flip a switch and wind up being overly aggressive at the plate. Um, you know, he did have his best month in July, um, not from a tower power standpoint, but he did hit almost 300 in July. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to figure cause it's, everything's extreme with him. I mean, he's got tools. You, you like, you noticed he, it might be a 2040 season. He draws walks. There's a ton of swing and miss. I think his body looks a little trimmer this year little less he was not out of shape but he just looked kind of thick and he looks maybe a little less muscle bound a little more sleek this year but at the same time like you could see him make good plays in center field and we saw him botch a play in the futures game in 2022 i saw him botch some balls in the fall league last year like it's a very kind of mixed reports on what you get out of him in center field like if you see him on his best days he looks like one of the best prospects in baseball and then there's days where he doesn't look like that great a prospect. So I, the, the feedback only confuses me more. So we, we, <laughs> we appreciate the feedback. I don't feel any closer to figuring out what exactly I think Jason Dominguez is at this point. Well, and I know as you, as you point, pointed out, Jim, you do the Yankees list and you know the sort of this Jason Dominguez versus Spencer Jones debate. But I think one of the things, and, and it's kind of impossible to do this, uh, you know, because we're all human, but if Jason Dominguez didn't come into pro ball with the amount of hype that he had uh, and the ridiculous comparisons that were made, and we were just looking at a 20-year-old in double A, yes, with all the strikeouts, yes, with the need to sort of refine swing decisions and the approach, but with the chance to have a 20-40 season at age 20, we would be we would be excited about that guy, I would think. And, and, you know, I do wonder sometimes if, yeah, we probably got too excited too early on him. And now are we flipping the switch off too quickly because he hasn't lived up to what was probably a, an unfair bar set for him? Yeah, and I don't think we're flipping the switch off. Like, we're not knocking the top 100. But the, the other interesting thing about the Spencer Jones comparison. Well, relatively flipping yeah, yeah. the switch no, off. No, I know what you mean. mean. Like, like there's, there is some prospect fatigue. Because, like, Jason, I mean, we've been talking about this guy since 2019. Um, and he's, he's in double A at a young age. So he's not doing anything wrong. But like, and then when you compare him to Spencer Jones, it's difficult. I, I do think it does sound like the consensus of people we talk to would take Spencer Jones over Jason Dominguez. And I wonder how much of that's prospect fatigue because Spencer Jones is a year older than Jason Dominguez. He's a level lower. Like he just came out of the draft. He was a first round pick last year. He's a, he's a level lower than Jason Dominguez. And he's having a nice year. I mean, he's on pace. He might go 20-40 also. And he might strike out 160 times um, as well. And he's got a 30% strikeout rate. So he's kind of having a similar season 
and he's a year older and a level behind Jason Dominguez. So, right. I mean, I do think people, and again, it's not everybody. I would say the majority of people, and I probably talked to more people just because I do the Yankees list, trying to figure out what to do with these guys, is that I think the, the people, the, the age would go to Spencer Jones for hitability and chances of sticking in center field, but it's not a wide golf. And again, they're having the same year. And one guy is a year younger and a year, I mean, a level higher. So it's, I don't know. I, I Just even talking about it is making my head hurt again. I don't know where to rank either guy in the top 100. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. And then you have Everson Pereira. We're not even going to bring him up, but he's not There's that no. far behind them either. Well, nobody matches the Martian in terms of hype. But on the draft side of things, uh, Drew Jones got a lot of hype uh, going into last year's draft. He was our number one ranked draft prospect. He had uh, he had a set of tools, I think unlike any that we've ever given out, tool grades that we've ever given out to any draft prospect. Uh, 55 hit, 60 power, 70 run, 65 arm, 70 field. No one had ever um, been given tools like that across the board. And he's a guy that uh, we just haven't seen. I mean, he didn't play last year. He's only played 18 games this year. Um, so, you know, some injury concerns early on. And then when he has played, uh, it hasn't been pretty at the plate. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, we try not to knock a guy or push a guy down too much because of injuries. However, you know, he's now basically missed you know, not two years, but you know, he didn't, he didn't play at all last summer and he's got a grand total of 73 professional plate appearances. And you're right, Jason, he's not done anything with them. You start to wonder, worry about, uh, him staying on the field. You know, not yet. He's still super young, but you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, you you know? So do you start worrying about long-term durability? I, I wouldn't like look at, his production say, Oh, you know, boy, he's hit 188, you know, in his pro career so far, but that's really worrisome. I, but I do think that losing close to two years, you know, or a year plus, however you want to, you know, add it up of development time is, is, is important. And for the record, when I say he's not the biggest guy in the world, I mean, from a, a narrowness physicality standpoint and not a height standpoint. So, you know, Will he fill out and you know get stronger? Maybe. I mean, I, I think that's one thing he's going to have to show he can do. But more importantly, he's got to show that he can stay on the field for uh, a, you know a, a, an extended period of time so he can get the reps. Say, I don't care how talented you are, if, if you if you can't get development reps when you're super young, it's going to cause a problem. It, it it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm kind of the mind where I'm not even really judging him because he's barely played. You know, between the shoulder injury last year quad injury and then a hamstring injury this year he hasn't you know had any extended time in the lineup to get going so i think it's too early like i'm not like you were suggesting Jonathan, i wouldn't panic i will say like like not that you want guys to get hurt because you certainly don't but corbin carroll went through some of this yeah the dimebacks know how to do it jordan lawler went through some of this and they've come out the other end so but yeah it, it makes it very tough like where do you rank a guy who we thought was as talented as any player in last year's draft who 
has only played 18 games and is hitting 188 as a pro so far. Like I, so I know when I looked at it and we still haven't settled, you know, we're going to finalize where everybody ranks. When I looked at it, I was just like, it's almost like it's such a small sample size and he hasn't been healthy. I'm just going to go on what I, you got to ding him a little bit, but I'm going to go on what I thought he was coming out of the draft until we see a long stretch that says otherwise. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. I'd love to see him in the fall league, although I think that would be kind of an aggressive assignment. Um, but it would be, it still would be cool to see him in the fall league if if we got him there. Yeah, I mean, because at this point, his his development timeline has been delayed considerably. I mean, you think he's just now coming back, and you know, let's say he finishes the season strong, or just that he finishes the season at the single A level. He'll play at the most what thirty games, something like that. Yeah. At at single A, where, where does he start next year? Back at single A at at the age, what will be twenty next year? Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, might depend. Th- yeah, but yeah, you see how he looks. Yeah, yeah. So you can see how he looks. Listen, forget about the fall league. Let him play in instructs. He hasn't done that, right? Because he couldn't play yeah. last year because of the shoulder. No, we want him um, in the fall league, Jonathan. Shh. I mean, it would be great to have him in the fall league. I think it would be a mistake developmentally to send him to the fall league. All right. We are going to turn our attention to some of the team top 30 prospects list. We'll look at some guys that are going to be on the rise there. We're going to take a break and do that next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo talking now top 30 prospects, team top 30 prospects list. All those will be coming out uh, refreshed, updated with 2023 draftees uh, coming out along with the top 100 prospects list, which we've been discussing. Uh, Let's turn our focus to some of these team top 30 lists. Jim, Jonathan, uh, this week in our 30-team story where we highlight one player, one prospect per organization that fits a particular bill. This week, it is uh, prospects who are making a big jump on their team's top 30 prospects list. Let's uh, start off with uh, a player from each of your teams who will be making a big jump. Jim, hit us. I'm going to go with Chase Hampton of the Yankees and, and a couple interesting things about him. One the Yankees do a great job of identifying pitchers in the middle rounds of the draft and then helping them get even better. And and they also do a great job. I will tip my cap to the Yankees for tipping me off on these guys. So I rank them on prospect lists, even though they haven't pitched very much. They did it with guys like Ken Waldachuk and Hayden Wisniewski, who they wound up using in trades. They did it with Lil Warren, who was an eighth rounder who became their best pitching prospect pretty quickly. And now their best pitching prospect is Chase Hampton, who was a sixth round pick in last year's draft, we had in, in some of our feedback, we had a team advocating for him to make top 100, and it, it and it wasn't the Yankees; it was another team that said they already have him as one of the very best pitchers from the 2022 draft, even though he went 190th overall. He was a Texas Tech product. He had uh, salmonella poisoning. How often do we talk about hmm. salmonella poisoning? That may be a first for the podcast. In the middle of his draft year in 2022, came back, finished strong, touched 99 in the NCAA regionals. I wound up going in the sixth round, and he's got the high spin rates the Yankees like on a fastball. Uh, you know, he usually 
you know, even though he's touched 99, he usually pitches kind of 92, 93, but it gets really good carry and arm side run. He's added a cutter that, that's been a, a plus pitch at times for him. His curve and his slider both have gotten a little bit better. They can be plus pitches. Work in progress on the change. And he's not only does the stuff look great, you know, from a, a metric standpoint, he's dominated. Began the year in high A, went to double A. He's been there for eight starts. Got 129 strikeouts, 33 walks, and 92 innings. And huge up arrow next to Chase Hampton's name. And again, I will I will give the Yankees credit. They do a very good job of identifying each year. Hey, here's a couple of pitchers who who might really pop this year that you should get on their list. And they almost always hit on those guys. Uh, so thanks to them for for making me look good. Yeah, you're you're talking about him, you know, garnering some top one hundred uh recommendation. He's he's uh number twenty four on the Yankees list currently, so set to make a a big jump. All right, Jonathan. I'm going to stick with pitching. And, and like, this makes me feel a little bit better after we were kind of uh, talking about how pitching seemed to be down a bit. So a guy's not you know top 100 level. We're, we're seeing some good performances. Another 2022 draft guy. You know, sometimes you don't know how guys are going to do when they enter pro ball. But Corey Lewis of the Twins wasn't even on their top 30. It was the ninth round pick uh, out of Santa Barbara. And Santa Barbara has, you know, uh, generated a, a good amount of talented pitchers over the last uh, several years and lewis's stuff is like it's not great it's kind of a prototypical twins pitcher they seem to find these guys later in the draft you know often on day two and uh, sometimes even day three with you know, four or five pitch mixes whatever it is and and they get them to the big leagues now Corey lewis hasn't gotten out of a ball yet but it has been very, very <clears throat> encouraging for him so far. He, you know, after nine really good starts in low A, he's been up in high A, and and arguably has been better. Um, not missing quite as many bats in the eight starts, but uh, not giving up many hits. Uh, he he's got a fastball curve change. He's also got a very usable knuckleball, which is not something that you say too often uh, and it's not a trick pitch right he's not just a knuckleballer he folds it in with the rest of his stuff his control continues to get better and you know he's six foot five and he's athletic maybe there's a little more in the tank uh, but i think this is another case uh, of the twins finding a, a late round college starter who ends up making starts uh, in the big leagues limited ceiling but uh, you know all he's done is is get people out so far in his first full season knuckleball just barely more prevalent than uh, salmonella on the, <laughs> on the podcast all right uh jim give us a, another name to watch i'll give you a hitter and it's another guy from last year's draft who has really made a leap this year and that would be astros infielder zach Desenzo, who was the 12th round pick of the astros last year number 373 overall came out of ohio state Tied a school record uh, with the Buckeyes, 19 homers in his junior season, his draft year. And he has just crushed the ball in in pro ball. He started his pro career last year in single A, you know, hit four homers in 27 games, struck out a little bit too much, went to high A to start this year. And and, and look, Asheville is a great place to hit. Came out hitting 400, 407 actually in the first month of the season. Made the jump to double A where he's not hitting 407, he's hitting 263. He's shown maybe even a little bit more power. Um, and it's not just the the counting numbers. Again, this is a guy the data loves. 
he hits the ball hard about as frequently and and in terms of frequency and then just in terms of sheer exit velocities probably better than anybody in the Astro system and ranks right up there with just about anybody in the minor leagues. Now that there is some swing and miss, he's 6'4", 220. There's some question. You know, I think you're hoping he's an adequate defender somewhere, maybe third base. Second base feels like a little bit of a stretch. It might be a left field or first base, but this looks like a 12th round steal just with the way he impacts the ball consistently. He's had a little bit of a foot injury, so he has he's he's missed some time, but but very impressive pro career so far for Zach Desenzo in the Astros system. All right, and Jonathan, uh, another player that will be making a big jump on his team's top thirty prospects list. Do uh, do we talk about relief pitchers more or less than knuckleballs and salmonella? We'll I think it fits, more. fits some somewhere in between. Maybe maybe yeah we more than we, some. We, no, I, yeah we don't talk a lot about them. Uh, you know, maybe we talk about guys who may eventually be relievers, but uh, Orion Kirkering uh, was a guy who was from my neck of the draft. He went to South Florida, and the Phillies took him in the fifth round last year. And you know, he, he relieved for a couple of years. South Florida got a chance to start, and then uh, things didn't go uh, so so well as the season went. I went back to relief. He is a reliever only, and they got him under slot in the fifth round, and he has pitched his way. Uh, up to double A already and may have the best combination of ability to throw strikes and pure stuff in their system right now. Uh, he, he's got a 37% strikeout rate and only like a 5% walk rate. Um, he has a chance to pitch late in games, maybe a multi-inning guy. Uh, I had someone sort of compare him to Matt Brash just in terms of how the stuff might play. Uh, the, you know, he's throwing a little bit harder. He's up into the upper nineties. Now the slider is elite level. He's missing a ton of bats and he's walking nobody. So this is a guy who we're going to see in the big leagues, you know, next year at some point. Uh, and you know, once you, once you get those guys who have sort of elite level stuff as relievers, you never know what role they're going to fill. You know, could he end up closing games? Yeah, I think he could. He's done it, you know, in the minors, he's done it, uh, in college, uh, it'll be a question of you know personnel and opportunity, but I do think he will be handling some high leverage situations for the Phillies as early as next year in the in the big leagues. All right, and let's uh, let's fill in for Sam Dykstra here. Uh, we talked about a couple guys each from your teams. Let's talk about a couple guys from Sam's teams as well. Um, one of them, uh, a name that we've talked about for years, although not much over the past few years, um, but a former top one hundred prospect who has just resumed playing this year uh, as Christian Robinson of the D-backs. Yeah, I mean, he was he was on our top one. I, I think he was even in the top half of our top 100 prospect list um, after a, a breakout 2019 season uh, as an 18-year-old. And then right toward the beginning of the pandemic, he got in an instant where he was arrested and charged with assaulting a police officer which he says was a result of mental health struggles. And there were legal issues related to that. Essentially, he couldn't get a visa to be able to play baseball until May of this year. Um, he's still relatively young. He's still 22. It, it's well above average raw power. It's solid plus speed. It's a potential center fielder with a, a right field arm if he has to move to a corner. 
And, you know, it's tough. I mean, nobody got at bats really in 2020, but he lost, you know, two years worth of at bats in 2021 and 2022. And, you know, he's come back fairly strong. You know, the, the power hasn't translated quite yet, but he's hitting reasonably well. He's running well on the bases. You know, he was always a little bit of an aggressive guy at the plate, and, and that's still true. But but that's all there. But he, you know, despite, you know, not really playing in official games for almost four years, it seems like he's getting back to where he was. So he, he he's a fascinating guy to keep an eye on. All right. And then another player that caught my eye just because of the uh, sheer numbers in terms of how big of a jump uh, he'll be making from when he was number 29 on the Cardinals preseason list and is going to be in the top five at the re-rank is Victor Scott, who, you know, his wheels were well known and he has, <laughs> he has shown them off, uh, undoubtedly as 73 stolen bases in 96 games, but you're not making that big of a jump up strictly based on your speed. You've got to be able to get on base and he has been doing that and hitting the ball with with some amount of authority. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, the the on base skills have been good and and the impact. Listen, he's never gonna he's never gonna hit a ton of homers. That's not who he is. I mean, we saw him in the futures game. It was fun watching that eighty grade speed at, at play. But he does have the ability to hit the ball harder than we may have thought when he was you know coming out of out of West Virginia. Um, you know, we've seen over the years plenty of guys who can really, really run uh, throughout the minors, and maybe they can get up to a, a certain level because, you know, frankly, they put the ball in play and it's a base hit, and then they steal second and third. But what he is, I think, starting to show, especially as he's having some success at the upper levels, is that even with the pitching getting better, uh, he is doing what he can do well, which is to to get on base, and you just can't. You're not going to be able to hit the you know weak ground balls to short and leg them out once you get to the big league. So you're going to have to be able to find the gaps a little bit. And when he does that, as he's been able to do, then you can turn singles into doubles and doubles into triples. You know, so you, you can impact offensively without you know finding the seats on a regular basis. All right, all these lists, top thirty, top one hundred. You'll you'll be looking at them shortly after you listen to this podcast. Um, we are going to wrap up here by answering a question from our old friend, Stevie D. Is this two weeks in a row for Stevie? I think it might be. This week, he asks, which prospects would you call up now before the September roster expansion that would help their team get a better playoff spot? This one should be relatively easy for you guys as last week in our our 30 team story that we did uh, we identified uh, one prospect per team that could get called up and so you have a nice pool of players to work from here Uh, but he's he's narrowed it down a little bit to call-ups who could help their teams uh, get into better playoff position who do you have i'm gonna let jonathan go first because i might (sighs) steal one of his players (laughs) You know, I don't, want, I don't want. I don't want to do that if if I'm taking your guy. I I think that could go. And well, I'm going to pull a Jim Cal's. I'm going to name two guys, uh, but but quickly. You know, some of it is like, you know, I could take someone from say the Braves, but how are they going to improve their playoff position? So I'm going to take that kind of literally. 
Uh, I think the first would be Heston Kerstad of the Orioles. Um, and you know, the Orioles actually obviously have been relying on young players all year and guys have been going up and down guys have graduated off. We're going to have to um, suspend you for saying something positive about the Orioles, Jonathan. I'm sorry. Um, that's twice now you, you I, referenced I'm gonna keep that. Making that um, and, uh, you know, so I, I do think, you know, he, he's uh, been hitting well in triple a, I think he could provide another offensive boost, um, you know, wish there was an arm that they could call up that would help them. But I think I had a I had another choice that is now escaping me. So I'm tap dancing while I while I look for who I was thinking. Oh, here's here's one I'm gonna give for you. So I think you know it's been interesting to see what's been going on in the AL West and the wild card race. You know, the Angels made those trades and they've been struggling. The Mariners kind of sat tight, even sold a little bit to bring in some some prospects. And they're playing really good baseball. I think that the Mariners are going to make the playoffs. And I think that Emerson Hancock is going to provide a lift for them. Maybe out of the bullpen um, if, they, if they need him to. But he has been pitching very well. They are not afraid to call up guys from double A. They did it with Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. You know, his last few starts have been outstanding. So I think that he could give them an extra lift. When when they when they need it, you know, you get to those dog days and pitching staffs get tired, especially with a younger pitching staff. Um, so that's my, I like the Hancock pick, pick more than the Kerstad pick because I think that that could have a an impact for a team that's on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, I, I was going to give you a little bit of a hard time. You didn't take the team with the best record in the National League, but you took the team with the best record in the American League after saying you weren't going there. But but anyway. Just give you a little, little hard time there. You didn't take the guy I was gonna pick. You're your guy. So well, now good. you forced me to one up you and name three guys because I had two guys oh, and you didn't come pick on. your best guy. But I'm gonna be brief on all of them. Minor <clears throat> league strikeout leader Connor Phillips. Reds need pitching. Yep, good one. I think he'd make a lot of sense. That was your guy that I thought they could use. Red Sox uh, don't know how to run the bases. Don't know how to play defense. They have a guy who's very good at both in Sedane Raffaella, who. Surprisingly enough, they are not giving, even though he could play center field and shortstop, he's playing almost all center field, even though they have a greater need in the middle infield. But I, I would call him up and put him in the middle infield and give him some playing time, help them out defensively. And then the Guardians need power, and they have a kid named Jonathan Rodriguez who might be this year's version of Oscar Gonzalez, but with better swing decisions. So um, there, there's three names. But you're right, you're right, Jason. It was very easy because we – Stevie D must have must have read our minds and know we were we'd been contemplating this at length last week, or just read your story, right? That. I feel like if you read the story, you wouldn't have asked a question though. Well, but he no, boiled he it down right. to he the playoff probably... questions. That's uh, no, he, so, he he targeted it. Well, that's true. It's true because maybe he wanted to know which of the guys was the yes. best since we hit him with thirty names. That's true. Stevie Stevie D always reads our stuff, so I don't know why I would have implied that he wouldn't have. That's. I should Terrible. be fined twenty five thousand dollars for that. So, sorry. <laughs> uh, I thought one of you might go with Griff McGarry. I thought one. I guess uh, Ben Brown might have been a consideration, but he, I believe, just went on the IL within the past couple of days. And then have to give uh, Sam Dykstra some credit here. He had Curtis Mead on this list last week and uh, has since been called up. Thanks very much to Stevie D for his question. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.